Well, you know, I was thinking this week about famous nicknames, and, and since I'm from Ohio and I love basketball so much, one of the names that came to my mind right away was the name King James. Now, some of you maybe don't know what I'm talking about, but, but I'm not referring to the King James Bible there. Um, there is a basketball player from uh, my, close to my hometown, about 20 minutes away. He grew up in Akron, Ohio. His name is LeBron James, and uh, LeBron James' nickname is King, the King. He is King James. Uh, some of you might remember the Iron Lady. Margaret Thatcher, that uh, she was the British Prime Minister back in the 1980s. For like 12 years, she was the British Prime Minister. And she had been given this nickname of the Iron Lady because of her leadership style, because of her uncompromising ways. Or maybe for some of you, you think about P. Diddy, Sean Combs. He's a singer, actor, songwriter, entrepreneur, and he actually had a lot of, has had a lot of different names over the years. I wonder, do you have a nickname? Nicknames are given for all different types of reasons, but a lot of times uh, we don't make up our own nicknames. Uh, somebody else makes up that nickname for us. Unless you're a celebrity, then maybe you come up with your own nickname. But uh, nicknames are given, and oftentimes nicknames maybe aren't, give, uh, aren't the name that you would like to have been given. I remember when I was in sixth grade, uh, my class, we went on this weekend camping trip together. It was supposed to be this bonding time where we'd learn how to build campfires and uh, go fishing, hike in the woods, make meals together. And this camp, it was just humongous. I mean, they had the camp uh, grounds there with the cabins and the bathrooms and all of that, the, the dining halls. They had this indoor activity center, basketball courts, tennis courts, this large lake to go fishing in and to go uh, canoeing in. And then just lots of open spaces, lots of outdoor space. There, there were lots of activities that had been planned for that weekend camping trip together. And there was also some free time that we had. And often on, on those times where we had free time, we would get together and we would play some kind of ball together. Well, during one of the, the free times that we had, we were actually out playing baseball together. And so uh, the, the place where we were playing, it, it, was, it came right up against this farmer's field that, that butted right up against the, uh, the campgrounds there. And, and so this farmer's field, it had corn in it, and the corn was, was like six feet tall or something like that, pretty tall. And uh, we're playing together, and someone hits the ball. And the ball goes into the cornfield, and uh, no one wants to go into the cornfield because everybody's scared that they're, they're, if they go into the cornfield, they're not going to be able to find their way out, or they're just scared to go into the cornfield. Well, I'm the only one in the class who actually grew up on a farm, and so I say, okay, you know what, I'll go get the ball. And I go into the field, and I go looking around for a while, I finally find it, I come back out, and the, one of the kids starts chanting. Corn boy, corn boy, corn boy. And I, I know that that, that that doesn't maybe sound like a horrible name to be called. There, there's a lot worse names that could have been called. And yet I was in sixth grade. You know, kind of going through that awkward stage of life, those early middle school years. And so I looked back at him and I said, don't call me corn boy. Well, you know what happened then. It, that name stuck. And... 
for years to come, I became Corn Boy, or for short, they called me just Corn. You know, um, the reason why I bring this up is because today we are going to be looking at a guy, uh, a story in the Bible, and this guy has a nickname, maybe one of the most famous nicknames of all time. This guy's nickname was Doubting Thomas. Now, that, that nickname is so famous that even today, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll sometimes hear people and they'll say, you know what, stop being a Doubting Thomas. I want to invite you to grab your Bible with me today. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 20. Uh, John chapter 20, and, and uh, you can open your Bible, open that Bible app, but just join me there if you will. Now, last weekend, that was Easter weekend, right? And so on Good Friday, we reflected on the events surrounding Jesus' crucifixion, how he was beaten and mocked and spit on and humiliated. He was hung to die on a Roman cross. By 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus had died. He had breathed his last. A soldier came along and, and, and took his sword and just pierced Jesus in the side. Before night came that day, before the darkness had fallen, Jesus' body was taken down off of that cross, wrapped up in these burial cloths, and then put in a brand new tomb with the stone, this large, gigantic stone rolled in front of the entrance. What happened Friday, that happened on Friday night. Saturday was the Sabbath, and then early on, on Sunday morning, John tells us that Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb and she finds that Jesus' body is gone. Later on, John tells us that Jesus appears to Mary and she thinks that he's the gardener, but he speaks to her and then she knows for sure that this is the Lord, that he is risen. And Jesus tells Mary to go back to the disciples and so she does and she tells them what she has seen. Now, we don't know everything that Jesus did after this point, but that was Sunday morning. On Sunday evening, the same day, we're told that the disciples are huddled together in this house. They have all of the doors locked shut tight because they are afraid of what might happen to them because of what happened to Jesus. I mean, Jesus had been crucified. They were following Jesus. What's going to happen to them? Are they going to be next? Last week, we saw that as they were locked in this house, Jesus comes and he stands in their midst and he says, peace be with you. And then he breathes the Spirit on them. Now, in a lot of ways, the passage that we're going to be looking at today is kind of like the climax of uh, the Gospel of John. Now, I want us to see two things from the passage that we're going to be looking at today. First, I want us to, to see, and we're going to talk about Thomas, and then we're going to talk about us. But, but I want to just pick up the story there in verse 24 of John chapter 20. You can follow along in your copy of God's Word, and here's what we read. It says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. He wasn't there on that, that Sunday night when Jesus had first appeared to all of the disciples. Verse 25, So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the marks of nails and place my finger into the mark, mark of nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So what do we know here about Thomas? Well, not a whole lot, actually. I mean, 
We, we, we know we've already talked about the fact that his nickname, the nickname that he's been given, is Doubting Thomas. In verse 24, we're told that, that he actually had another nickname that was given to him by the people who knew him and were around him a lot, and that was the twin. But the Bible doesn't really tell us specifically who his twin was, and so we don't really know much more than that. Thomas, he is mentioned eight times in the Gospels, and most of those times are in the list of disciples of Jesus. For three years, Thomas had followed Jesus around. He had witnessed his miracles, his teachings. He, he's mentioned in, by the other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But uh, John is the only one of the writers, the gospel writers, who actually uh, quotes and uh, writes down, records the words that Thomas says. And I think as we look at some of the things that Thomas says, it kind of gives us a glimpse into his life and into his personality. Back in John chapter 11, you, you can read the, the account of Lazarus. Jesus had gotten word that his dear friend Lazarus was sick, that he was near death. But Jesus chooses not to go immediately to Lazarus. Instead, he waits a few days, and in that time, Lazarus dies. And so Jesus talks to his disciples then, and he says, Okay, now we're going to go to Bethany, where Lazarus had lived, and we're going to go visit his family. Now the disciples are talking about this and they kind of say, well, wait a second here, because the last time that we got close to Jerusalem, which Bethany was close to Jerusalem, uh, last time we were close to Jerusalem, the, the Jews were trying to kill you, Jesus. I mean, if we get close to Jerusalem, they're going to try to get us again. And, and I don't think it would be a good idea for us to go there right now. They're having this discussion back and forth and Thomas speaks up and we read this in John chapter 11. And verse 16, it says, So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now, you know, some people read that and they just say, Well, you know, Thomas, he was just such a pessimist. I mean, he, he thought, you know what, we're going to die anyway, so why not go ahead and get on with it? But I don't think that that's what Thomas was thinking at all. I, I think that Thomas was actually showing a lot of courage there. That, that if Jesus says that we ought to go somewhere, then you know what? We ought to listen to him and we ought to follow him. And whatever the cost is, it doesn't really matter. That should not stand in the way of following Christ because he is so worth following. Thomas is not a weak guy. But he actually seems to be very strong and has a lot of courage here. Later on in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 14, Jesus and his men are in the upper room. We, we, look at, we looked at this passage a few weeks ago, but Jesus says this to, to them. He says, you know what? I'm going to prepare a place for you in my Father's house, but don't worry because I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to be with me. He says, and you know the way that I'm going. Well, I imagine the other disciples are sitting there. They're hearing Jesus say this. They have no idea what he's actually talking about, but none of them want to speak up. None of them actually want to say anything about this until Thomas finally speaks up. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Which I think, again, is evidence of Thomas's boldness and his courage. That, that he was not afraid to speak up. He wasn't afraid to have questions. Well, back in John chapter 20, 
There's been a lot of speculation about where Thomas was when Jesus had appeared that first Easter Sunday evening as the other disciples were huddled there in the room. Well, I mean, was he off having a pity party for himself? Was that how he was handling the crucifixion of Jesus? I mean, did he just want to be by himself, just be alone? Or maybe he was off doing something else, that he was serving someone. And maybe he was at the grocery store shopping or something like that. I mean, we don't really know what Thomas was doing, and John doesn't tell us either. All we know is that Thomas wasn't there. You know, uh, we are quick to call Thomas the doubter. And as we read through this text, we can see that Thomas did have his doubts and maybe even some skepticism. But really, I, I don't think it was a whole lot different than what the other disciples were experiencing. I mean, earlier on in this chapter, John chapter 20, we, we read specifically about how Mary and John and Peter and the other disciples did not believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. In fact, they don't believe until they see Jesus and speak with Jesus. And here, when the disciples tell Thomas that they have seen the Lord, Thomas doesn't say, no, you didn't see Jesus. I don't believe you. He just simply says, well, you know what? I want to see with my own eyes. And I want to touch him with my own hands. I want to experience the same things that you guys have experienced. I imagine that Thomas's friends have been telling him throughout the week, you know what? We have seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord. Thomas, we've seen the Lord. They probably had said it numerous times. On one hand, I think that it's quite natural to have some doubts in a situation like this. I mean, let's be honest, we've all had doubts at points in our lives. But on the other hand, it's interesting that Thomas would ask for this specific criteria that he needed to experience in order to believe that Jesus actually was risen. And so what's going to happen? Well, verse 26 there, it says, eight days later. Now, I want to just stop there for a moment because that would have been today. I mean, that was actually, it was actually one week from Resurrection Sunday. It would have been today says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, and this is a very personal encounter that this doubter has with the risen Lord. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put, uh, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas had his doubts. He wanted some hard evidence. Jesus was not obligated to give that to him. I mean, Jesus isn't obligated to any of us. But yet, in his patience and his kindness and his grace, he comes to Thomas quite personally here. What, what John lays out in his gospel strongly implies that this scene is a lot like what happened just one week earlier. That here are these disciples, they're in this room, they, the doors are locked and bolted shut, and all of a sudden, boom! Jesus is standing right there in the midst of them, and again he says, peace be with you. 
You know, some people have said that the resurrection was something that kind of happened over time. That Jesus' disciples had wished that he had not died. And so over time, they kind of gradually came up with this story that Jesus didn't stay in the grave, but that he had actually rose from the dead. And they did that in order to bring comfort to themselves. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, these eyewitness accounts here in John and the other Gospels tell us that this was something that happened suddenly. And this was not some made-up story by naive, wishful thinkers. The physical resurrection of Jesus was something that they did not expect, that they did not see this coming. And even Thomas, who had his doubts, could not argue with what he had just seen and experienced. He did not expect this to happen, but in that moment he encountered the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. As I think about this there, I wonder, what would it have been like to have been Thomas? I mean, can you imagine being Thomas when Jesus shows up and speaks these words of kindness? Peace, peace be with you. And then he says, okay, go ahead, Thomas. Go ahead, take your finger and put it into the nails, nail prints in my hands. And go ahead, take your hand, put it right into my side. And then being Thomas in that moment and realizing, you know what, Jesus heard every word that I had spoken. I mean, he wasn't even standing there when I was talking to the other disciples, and yet he heard me. He, he heard every word that I said. I mean, how humbling how humbling to realize that the Lord knows everything about me. He knows everything that was spoken, everything that was thought, everything that was done. And yet he spoke those words of kindness, words of mercy. Peace be with you. We see Jesus dealing with Thomas's doubts here. And he says, Thomas, don't disbelieve, but believe. How did Thomas respond to that? How did Thomas encounter the, the resurrected Lord and how did that change him? Did, did he actually take his fingers and put it into the nail prints? Did he take his hand and put it into Jesus' side? If you were Thomas, would you? And John doesn't actually tell us, but I seriously doubt it. I mean, I don't think that Thomas touched those holes at all in Jesus. I mean, he had, he had talked and seen the risen Lord. Thomas, doubting Thomas, makes one of the most profound, concise, and personal confessions of faith that, that has ever been spoken from the lips of any human being. Verse 28, Thomas says this, My Lord and my God. This is not some statement of astonishment. This is not like the latest post on social media. No, this is Thomas's confession of faith in Jesus Christ. These are words of contentment, uh, of commitment rather. These are words of worship. Any doubt that Thomas had just melts away in this moment. My Lord and my God. You know, uh, when I think about Thomas, I just can't help but to think about another guy in more recent history who also had doubted the Lord. I mean, some of you know the story of Lee Strobel, the guy who wrote The Case for Christ. I mean, he was a skeptic. He was a cynic. He was a doubter. In fact, he wrote this. He said, I once thought that the Gospels were merely religious propaganda, hopelessly tainted by overactive imaginations and evangelistic zeal. 
He basically says, you know, listen, whatever Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John said about the life and ministry of Jesus, it just seemed to me as made-up stories from overactive imaginations. Strobel, he was a smart guy. He was a journalist who worked for the Chicago Tribune and who had earned a law degree from Yale, an Ivy League school. But his opinion of the gospel accounts was that he seriously doubted whether any of that had ever happened. And then one day, he experienced a real crisis in his life. His wife comes to him and she says, listen, I'm a Christian now. Strobel says that in that moment, he almost divorced her because he just could not imagine what it would be like living with a Christian. I mean, that's how foolish he thought Christianity was. But soon after that, he began to rally all of the background of legal expertise and investigative reporting that he had done. And he had initially set out to kind of disprove the resurrection of Jesus. But through his research, he actually became convinced that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he did die, that he was resurrected. And just like Thomas, Lee Strobel would look at Jesus and he would say, my Lord and my God. And he too became a worshiper of Jesus Christ. Back to to John chapter 20. I just want to point out something here that I think John does very deliberately. At the very beginning of the Gospel of John, he starts out with these words, and he says in John chapter 1 in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's how John starts his Gospel. Chapter 21, the last chapter of John, it's kind of like the epilogue. It's kind of like the concluding remarks that he makes. And so in some ways, what he writes right here is kind of the end of the story. And so if this is the end, well, how is John going to end his gospel? Well, he ends in the very same way that he began it. He ends it with this quote from Thomas where he says, My Lord and my God. That everything that John writes in his gospel is written with this purpose to show that Jesus is God. To show that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That Jesus is who he says he is. He has done what he said he would do. And his resurrection is the proof of that. So that's a look at this encounter with Thomas that he has with the risen Savior. But there's a second encounter today that I want us to see as well. If you go back to the beginning of John chapter 20, Jesus had appeared very personally to Mary Magdalene by that garden tomb. And later on, he appears to the disciples as they're huddled together in this house behind locked doors. The doors are shut. Thomas is not there in that moment, but Jesus shows up in their midst. Eight days later, as we read today, Jesus shows up again as the disciples are meeting. This time, Thomas is there, and Jesus shows up to Thomas very personally. But I want us to see one more encounter. And that just has to do with you and me encountering the risen Savior. I want to go back to that last part of verse 29 where Jesus would say this. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And then in verses 30 and 31... Says this, now Jesus did, or yeah, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. 
But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You know, you and I encounter the resurrected Lord and we encounter the one who is who he says he is, that that he is God come in the flesh. He is the Savior. Jesus says, Thomas, you saw and you believed. But there are other people who believe who haven't seen with their physical eyes. That, that, that would be us. That would be other believers throughout history and around the world who have put their faith in Jesus Christ without physically seeing his resurrection, his resurrected body. Well, we have the word of God that has been faithfully given to us by the Holy Spirit through the gospel writers. The physical resurrection of Jesus has been seen by many witnesses, even witnesses like Doubting Thomas. If you read these accounts of of the gospel writers and John, Luke, and the others as well, that, that, that you'll see on that Easter Sunday, Jesus appeared to five, on five separate occasions to a, a number of different individuals and groups of people. In the 40 days that would follow that, uh, the Bible talks about five more occasions. And this is not just that Jesus appeared to a select one or two people, but the Apostle Paul talks about how on one of these occasions, there were 500 people who were present there. We have the written testimony of many people who saw the resurrected Lord. We have reason to believe And like Jesus' followers, you and I are transformed when we encounter Jesus Christ. You know, I was thinking about this, and in many ways, we live in a day and age where there there are a lot of people who have their doubts. And yet, we make decisions all the time that are based on the testimony of other people. I mean, you think about this once. If I were to ask you, do you believe that Abraham Lincoln was shot in Ford's Theater by John Wilkes Booth? I mean, if if you know just a little bit about history, you would probably say, yes, I believe that. Well, how do you know that? I mean, there is, how, how do you know that, that that actually happened? There is no video evidence. There are no pictures about this. How do you know that that's true? Well, because you believe The testimony of other people, right? Or what if I said to you, you know what, there were these two humongous buildings in New York City called the Twin Towers. And on the morning of September 11, 2001, uh, two separate planes came crashing into each of those buildings. And within a short period of time, those towers came crashing down to the ground. Would you say, well, you know what? I wasn't there. I've never seen those towers before, so I don't really believe that that ever happened. I, I, don't, I don't even think those towers ever existed. I mean, of course you wouldn't say that. You have heard firsthand testimonies of those who witnessed what actually happened, who were there that day when it happened. Because of the testimony, you then believe as well. Maybe uh, for work, your company tells you, hey, you know what? We need you to take a business trip for us. And uh, we're going to send you to Portland, Oregon. Now, you've never been to Portland, Oregon before. And I mean, can you imagine turning to your boss and just yelling at him and saying, you know what? you got to be crazy. I can't believe that you would try to send me to Portland, Oregon. I've never been there before. I don't even believe that it exists. Now, if you did that and you turned to your boss and yelled at him like that, I would imagine that you probably would be looking for another job because he would think that you're crazy 
for responding like that, for thinking that. Even though you haven't personally been at these events or maybe you haven't been to one of these places before, you still uh, believe that they exist, that they happen because of the testimony of other people uh, that, that they saw these things with their own eyes. We live this way all the time. We believe uh, things because of the reliable witness of other people. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is given to us through reliable witnesses by the power of the Holy Spirit, the, the written word of God. Jesus says, if you believe in me because of that, you will be blessed. Again, John writes, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I want to ask you a question. Do you believe? Uh, has something maybe come along, maybe some sorrow, some fear, some disappointment that has kind of sidetracked you in your faith? I mean, maybe for some of you, you're listening to this and it just hasn't temporarily sidetracked you, but maybe uh, for weeks, months, years, you have been walking without Jesus Christ. Well, I, I don't believe that there are any accidents. I believe that God is very personally working today, that he's personally trying to speak through the power of his word to you today, that he wants you to believe, and in believing to experience life, real life in his name. There's no better time than the present. The personal, Jesus Christ, is coming personally to you, and he is calling you to faith in him so that you might have life. Jesus said this, he said, I have come that they might have life more abundantly. That, that, that you might experience life in a way that you never dreamed of before. And that's what the Savior offers us if we'll put our faith in him and if we'll follow him. The Bible promises that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's my hope, it's my prayer that you would know the presence of the risen Lord Jesus, that you would experience the transforming power that raised him from the dead at work in your life today. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for just the power of your word. Lord, that uh, we, we see here some really challenging things, some really tough things, that here is a guy in Doubting Thomas who, who was one of your followers and yet went through a real period of time struggle and, and not, not believing. And when you showed up in your power and in your glory, it transformed and changed everything about life for him, just as it did for the other disciples as well. And Lord, we don't believe that it was just back then that you worked in that way, but today you are continuing to work. Lord, we pray that through the power of your word that you might uh, work in and through us, that you might transform and change us and make us into your image and into your likeness, that, that we might see and experience and know your power living inside of us, living through us. Lord, we know that you came to give life more abundantly. And I pray today 
for each and every person who is listening to this, who is worshiping with us here, Lord, that there would be real life that is experienced, a life that is found in you and you alone. It's in Christ's name that we pray.